Could we pray? That'll be good. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you for your attributes, for your worth, for your authority. I thank you for your Son. I thank you, Lord, that you make us righteous. I thank you for your blood that speaks better than the blood of Abel. I thank you that in you, Lord, we have our true identity. I thank you that you are the King. I thank you that you are coming back. Lord, and I thank you that we can gather and worship you and listen from you and hear from you. And I thank you for those who were healed. Truly, Lord, I thank you for those who were healed. Yeah, why don't we give him a hand for that? I think that's awesome. You know, <clears throat> friends, we never want to take, we never want to take uh, God for granted. We really don't. And we prayed for healing for so long, for so many years. And when you start to see things like that start to take place, you just want to give God the honor and the praise. Amen? You really, really do. I prayed for, prayed for a long time when I first got saved for words of knowledge. And I prayed for so long to see the word of knowledge and the secrets of men's heart revealed. And when God started to speak to me even about strangers and show me what was going on inside of them, but it was just two years of pressing in for that. Not that you earn it, it's just aligning and positioning yourself. And uh, so when we press in for something and we see God start to move, it's not something that we just flippant with. Amen? So that's what we're doing right now with worship. We've been in a, a season of teaching on worship. We had a break last week. I did plan to preach last week, but my dad came up here and ministered, and people got touched. And we never want to stop that. Amen? We never want to control that. We want to say, have your way. Holy Spirit, come and move. We want to see more of that. So that was wonderful. And uh, so I'm going to continue this week. And um, we're going to speak about uh, worship from a different perspective. What Dwayne did, honestly, I think it was excellent that everybody you worship in spirit and in truth, and you're made up of body, soul, spirit, and your spirit man, is the, that's where true worship comes from, because your spirit man takes rulership. I really thought that was outstanding. But I wonder if you could turn to 1 Chronicles 16, and I want to speak about David's tabernacle. Now, if I can be very real with you guys, I spoke on this a couple of weeks ago. I was, I've preached on this many times in different places. But when I did a few weeks ago, I could see I lost some of the people. So what I've decided to do, because there's so much in this, there's so much involved in the tabernacle of David, is I've decided instead of trying to take you through all the scripture, now I'm going to throw up some slides, we're going to throw up a bunch of information, but I want to just tell it to you as a story because there's a story, and be very brief in terms of just the story, there's scriptural backing for everything that I say. If you're a scholar and you want the notes, we've already had it typed up for you. If you contact the office, they'll send it to you. So I'm asking you just to listen. Uh, you, I'm not going to stop you taking notes if you want to, obviously. I'm not going to point you out. I said, no, that's, no, I'm not going to do that, except if Dwayne does it. But um, if you could just listen to the story of it, and I might read some stuff, just to help make it simple, and quick to understand, there's no way that I can go through 1 Chronicles 15 to 29 uh, in a few minutes. So, firstly, we have the seven forms of Hebrew worship, which we'll show in a moment. Halal, Yada, Toda, all those different things. And they mean to worship, to be clamorously foolish. They're up there, Halal, Yada, Toda, Barak, and uh, Zamar. Uh, Shabak, and that means to shout, to clap the hands, to lift up your hands like a child. All the different stuff we went over a few weeks ago 
of which the most important one is Tehillah, not the most important, the one that we see that brings breakthrough is the Tehillah. That's the worship that is spontaneous, that bubbles up inside of you. It's the fresh, it's the fresh new song of the Spirit of God that rises up in you. So you see it in 1 Chronicles 20, when Jehoshaphat sent out the worshippers before the army. It says, so they worshipped God, Halal, and then they praised Yada. It says, but when they sang, or when they praised. So in English we read, they praised, and then they praised, and when they praised. And we think, okay, great, so you just got to keep doing the same thing. They sang known songs, they sang to the Lord, but when they tehillahed, it says when they halal, when they yada, when they tehillahed, when they sang a fresh song of the Spirit that was coming from inside them, from the Spirit part of them, the deepest part, when they began to sing that, it says, the Lord shattered the enemy for them, he fought on their behalf. In Isaiah 42, when it says, I will arouse, when you worship me, I will arouse myself as a man of war and shatter the enemy. That word there is Tehillah. And all through the scriptures, when you see the word Tehillah mentioned, there's a breakthrough, there's something that comes from heaven, literally from heaven, in a new song. It's a spontaneous, non-rehearsed song that brings breakthrough. To such an extent that the book of Psalms is called, in the Hebrew, Sefer Tehillah. It's the songs of Tehillah. And the book of Psalms is very simply the top charts. You know, top of the charts, we still have that today. It's the chopped 150 songs of David's day. But there were thousands. So we have the top, the top 150, the ones that were played on the radio, in a sense. That's the ones we have. So, when, I'm going to read you something here quickly. When, when heaven worships, we'll see this in Revelations 4 and 5, when heaven worships, God releases his government. What do I mean by the government of God? I mean his rulership, his authority, his power, his reign. He rules. And when he rules, anything that is not of his kingdom is subsided, turned over, shifted, moved. Everything changes because he's the king. And when he comes in his royalty, in his government, everything bows. Sickness, deformity, depression, barrenness, everything bows. Every name that is not the name of Jesus bows. Cancer, bow, everything bows. That's the government of God. And it says here, if you look at Revelations 4 and 5, which we, we might get into at the end, God releases his government, his kingdom, and his resources when we worship. And if you look at the order of heavenly worship, I might have given you a slide for that, I'm not sure. It is continual. I don't think I did. It is continual, if you look at Revelations 4 5, it's continual, it is musical. So I know Dwayne said worship is not just music. We know it's not. But it comes from inside. It's continual, it's musical, it's relational, it's God-centered, and it's focused on his beauty, his personality, his attributes, and his actions. That right there is what's happening in heaven now. While we're doing this, they're doing that. Extremely musical. Because God created music as a force on the earth that can penetrate through race, age, and culture in a moment. You can be standing in a different nation where people don't, the song comes on, they're not your color, they're not your age, they're not your country, and you get pierced to the heart to the same degree because a song comes on. Hello? That's God made it like that. That's God's design. So, what's the story I'm going to tell you? I'm going to tell you a little bit about the tabernacle of David. Why? 
because the tabernacle of David is what God is restoring and building again today. In the Old Testament, the natural. In the New Testament, the spiritual. So what happened here? Along comes a shepherd boy. I want you to see this. Along comes a shepherd boy who worships the Lord, who worships the Lord way above the covenant that he's in, way above what's required, way beyond the law that he was in and under. He worships the Lord. Nobody sees, nobody knows, because he's out with the sheep. To such a degree that when the prophet comes to town, they forget him. Opportunity for offense and rejection always come to the worshiper. That's why there's always issues with worship people. <laughs> Just being real. It's much opportunity will come. And opportunity for rejection. They have to go find him. They anoint him as king, much to everybody's surprise. Why? Because God sees and God knows. God saw. I believe it's the reason he was chosen. He was a worshiper before that, in a sense, existed. Because up until that time on the earth, worship was done through a sacrificial system. Please hear this, friends. He broke through heaven. He broke through what was required, and he saw something in heaven. 1 Chronicles 28 says, He gave the plans to Solomon of that which he saw. Moses saw something in heaven and built a tabernacle that dealt with the forgiveness of sins and atonement for our, you know, the blood and the sacrifice. David saw something and built a second tabernacle that had to do with intimacy with the Lord that was not on the earth at the time. He transcended what he was involved in. So he sees this, he starts to worship the Lord. I believe that's why he was chosen. He gets chosen as king. Then, years later, he becomes king of Judah, and he reigns in a place called Hebron for seven years. Then he moves there, and he moves from there, and he reigns, and he gets anointed as king over all Israel, and he reigns for the rest of his 40 years. Seven years Hebron, 33 years in, from the city of David in Israel. The first thing he desires to do is to bring back the presence of the Lord to the city of David. It's the first thing. Because it's actually what every generation longs for, for the presence of the Lord to be back in the church. Yes? Where all men are quiet and sitting down and God be God with his people. So David goes to bring back the ark of the Lord, has good intentions, wants to do it. God, this is exciting. And even in the beginning, he had the right heart, but he did it the wrong way. So he built this beautiful cart. We know the story. Who knows the story? Uzzah put his hand out and he was, he was killed. Why? He was doing things, even then, I think it's in 2 Samuel 6, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel 6, it says, he went before it with all kinds of instruments of fir wood on harps, stringed instruments, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. So even then, he's starting to tie this thing of music and worship to the government and the presence of God. So he's doing his best, but he didn't inquire of the Lord. So he has the right intentions. Someone gets killed. And that's often what happens is that people get hurt when we so long for the presence of God that, but we neglect the word. And people can get hurt. So he inquires of the Lord and he looks in the book of Moses and he sees how to host the presence of God. Who's ever heard the, technique, the term we are, we are called to host God's presence, right? In the Old Testament, that's just what he learned to do. He learned how to carry the presence of the Lord. That's a prophetic what he did. 
It says he learned, he learned to do it God's way. And he learned how to host God's presence. For them it was the way to carry the ark. And he learned how to host God's presence. He was so excited that he danced. That's between 9 and 13 miles. So between here and Herndon, somewhere that distance. He danced before the Lord as they did this until he was in like, his unholy pajamas, basically. He's in, in his underwear, okay? That's what happened. Imagine dancing for that long. And Israel's not so cold, you understand? It's, it's hot. And he dances before the Lord for that long. He's a king in his underwear. Wasn't very cultural. Worship, true worship, is almost never cultural. Please hear that. Almost never cultural in any nation. Only in Hebrew time. It's almost never cultural. Yeah, praise God, it's true. So he dances before the Lord, and what happens is his wife, Michal, looks down out of the window and sees him doing this, and says, despises him in her heart. Not because he was embarrassing himself. He even said, I was humiliated. He knows he felt humbled. Because she was the last line of Saul, and she went from another man back to David, and she didn't want to be there. What's the point? She was offended in her heart. And because she was carrying an offense, she could not see what God was doing in the nation. She could not see as God saw, because she's carrying an offense. And it is very difficult to worship when you're offended. Very difficult. The whole nation's worshiping God. She's eating worms in the bedroom because she cannot see because of an issue of the heart. So David has to work that out. Am I making sense so far? So, then, I wrote you, uh, he knows God, he knows what is happening, he's bringing the presence of God back to the church, in a sense. So, uh, let's go to 1 Chronicles 16. Then this happens, right? 1 Chronicles 16, it says, So they brought the ark of God, and they set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Now, let me pause again. I know I told you this, I'm going to tell you again. Never before, never since, had there been two tabernacles on the earth, in a sense, with God. There was a tabernacle that Moses built, according to all the instructions that he was given. They carried around the desert and kept pulling it down, putting it back, pulling it down. Putting it down. That tabernacle was now had been erected at the, what they call the high places on, on Gibeon. It was there. Go look at it. It's 1 Chronicles 25, I think it is. High places at Gibeon. David builds another tabernacle. Doesn't say it had a veil. Doesn't say how it was built. Doesn't say how it was constructed. It's a second tabernacle. So now you have two. All the sacrifices under Zadok, the priest, that's all going on. The blood, the, the stuff, all the altars, all of that's still happening. David builds a second tabernacle on a place called Mount Zion. And he takes the ark and he puts it there. Friends, it was against the law of Moses. He should have been killed. But he saw something in heaven. He saw something and wanted to build something on the earth that never existed before. So he puts the ark there. And he welcomes everyone to come and worship there before the ark. And this is what happened. It says, They brought the ark of God and they set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. As I said last time, that's the only, offer, it's the only sacrifices that took place there. This was not going to be a sacrificial place of worship, but a place of worship from a heart of love, in spirit and in truth. That's what he was trying to establish. A New Testament form of worship in the Old Testament. 
And then if you look at um, David had finished burnt offerings, then you go over to verse 7. It says, On that day, David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. And then it's got, if you have a real Bible, you'll see all the next two pages is just this long psalm. Friends, what's the point? From that moment, he institutes a system. There's three chief musicians, and we're almost done with the story. There's three chief musicians, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun. There's another guy called Kenaniah, who is the master of song. That's what he's called, because he was skillful. And David the king. Those five guys instituted something on the earth that never existed. So David takes a song that was spontaneous, that was a Tehillah song, that comes into his heart because of what he's just about to institute on the earth. And he gives the song to Asaph to set the song in order. And then they sing the song. In verse 37, after the song, it says, So he left Asaph and his brothers there before the ark of the Lord, before the covenant of the Lord, to minister before the ark regularly as every day's work required. Now, from that day, from that day, David institutes a system of worship, please hear me, that had never been seen before, ever. From that moment, there was something that was happening on the earth, and it's the only time it happened, that looked exactly like what was happening in heaven. Because from that moment, they worshipped 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, for 33 years. It's interesting that it's the same length as the life of Jesus. Very interesting. For 33 years, and heaven, heaven's worship was seen on earth. It was continual. It was around the Lord. You saw this heavenly thing taking place, never before happened. And from that season, all the seven forms of Hebrew worship that we mentioned, all of them were birthed in that season. All of that stuff that you see in the Psalms, friends, it's all out of that period of time. And that was all birthed into the earth that was not before present. And then the two tabernacle systems come together and and that's when they built the temple. Now, what happened when they came together? We're going to read that and then we'll go to Acts 16. Acts 15. Got to turn over the page to 2 Chronicles chapter 5. While you're turning there, let me tell you this. Very interesting. They all had to be Levites. They all had to be Levites to do this, just for the students. You know, there were 38,000 Levites who fitted the order of what you had to do. 38,000. 24,000 were selected as those who would serve in the house of the Lord. That's the the temple under Zadok, the priest, the sacrifices. 6,000 as officers and judges. 4,000 as gatekeepers. And 4,000 as musicians. Why do I tell you that? How did they select those people? You can go read it in 1 Chronicles 23. It says they cast lots, which means what? All 38,000 were musical. All 38,000 were prophetic. That's what it actually means. They were all capable. They were all able. All of them. And that stands for New Testament church. Levites, Christians. They were all able to worship in spirit and in truth. Then we see for the first time ever, what would happen is every single hour on the hour, a new, let's use today's terminology, a new band, a new team 
of their little harps and whatever. Every hour on the hour, a new group of musicians would go in and play, and that's how it was continual. And there was, you think we struggle with spreadsheets? Imagine that spreadsheet. Okay? And you know how they actually decided? It was they cast lots. So sometimes you would have to be in over and over again because it dealt with the whole, well, why do they get to play on Friday night? And I want to play on my... Uh, they cast lots. <laughs> That's how they decided. So you just had to be ready. So that happened for 33 years. Then the two systems come together, and this is what happens. 2 Corinthians, 2 Chronicles 5. Verse, let's go to verse 12. No, let's go to verse 11. It says, now they've put the ark, this is the building of the temple, they've just brought the ark into the temple, and as they put the ark there, this is what it says. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions, and the Levites, who were the singers, okay, see, he agrees, the Levites, who were the singers, all those of Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun. There's the three chief musicians. And you know what else? Every single one of those three men were at another time in the Bible called seers. They were called prophets. They were so prophetic. You know that Kenaniah, the fourth guy? It says, Kenaniah was given to song, for he was the instructor of song. You know what that word song is in the Hebrew? The word masa. It means prophetic burden. From the moment these kids, in a sense, started to worship, they were taught by their fathers. They were taught by their church. They were taught to sing with the prophetic unction, to worship with the prophetic unction, to play instruments with their prophetic unction from the first moment they could start, to learn to sing to healer to the Lord. And then they were, allowed, they were taught that by this guy. Every single one had to go through a school of prophets from Samuel, had to go through the school of music. It's very interesting. It says, and the Levites, who were the singers, all those of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen. Why is that important? Friends, this is the first time that you now see all 4,000 musicians playing at once. All 4,000. So I want you to imagine, for a second if you can, all 4,000 musicians, excellently trained, beautiful in harmonizing, that know how to worship from the prophetic spirit of God inside of them, worshiping in spirit and in truth. They're not rock stars. They don't have the look-at-me issue. It's unto the Lord. 4,000 of them start to worship. Imagine what that sounded like. Okay? And it says they were clothed in white linen. Why? What did David see? What did he pattern this after? Something he saw in heaven. What does Revelations 4 and 5 say? For the worshippers were clothed in white linen. He was saying, we need to do on earth what's being done in heaven. He was doing what Jesus said year, thousands of years later. And he understood it comes through worship. It comes through worship. It comes through worship. Prophetic worship. And he said, And their brethren stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, harps, and with them 120 priests, sounding with trumpets. Indeed it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one. I could preach about that for a while. Worship teams. 
as one, to make one sound, to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, He is good, His mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not continue ministering because the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. They were all on their face. How many times have we read that scripture and said, Lord, do that today? Friends, God's given us a way. If that happened under an old covenant, under an old system, how much more today? What was the way? It was to bring the two systems together. The one for the sacrifice of sins. Friends, that way has been opened through the blood of Christ. That's the gospel. It's been opened. It's been made new. The other is worship in spirit and in truth from the heart. And when those two come together, the glory of God will fall. Hello? The prophetic unction, the prophetic ability of the Lord. Now, let's talk about, and I've got another slide, but we'll look over that. For the six kings after that, every time Israel went through a wobble, you know Israel, Lord we love you, forget the Lord. Lord we love you, forget the Lord. Much like many Christians. And every time the Lord moved, every time that happened, they would reinstitute what? They would reinstitute six other kings did it. They would reinstitute the Davidic order of worship and peace, prosperity, what we would call revival, came back to the land. It's very interesting. Now, if you could go with me to Psalm 22, please. Psalm 22, 3 says this. What are we going to talk about now? God's rulership. How does God, that was just a story. God's rulership through worship. Are you still with me? Yes. Wonderful. Psalm 22, 3. God is enthroned upon the praises of his people. You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. That is in the praises of his people. Now, whoever heard the, the, the psalm, God, uh, what's the, he is inhabited on the praises of his people. You, it's the same, same verse, okay, just different translation. That word praise, guess what it is? Amazing, you guys are sharp. Amazing. So, very important. He is enthroned. That word enthroned is to crown as king. That's why it says inhabit. The Bible says God is looking for a dwelling place on the earth. You know that he's still looking for a dwelling place on the earth? I know he dwells in us now, not in temples. But he's looking for a place where he can set up his throne, where he can set up the, the government of God in a way that he rules in such a way that all men will know that Jesus Christ is alive, that God is the king, that he is real, that people are healed, that people are saved. He wants to set up his government. That's what Dwayne preached about. When you worship from your spirit, it says God is seeking those who are worshiping in spirit and in truth. So many people spend their life seeking God. He said, if you will worship me, I will seek you. Think about it, friends. You know that when you worship, you fulfill the praise of Jesus? I don't even have time to get into that. That's just to bug some of you. You fulfill the praise of Christ. He's interceding on our behalf, the Bible says. What do you think he's praying for? It's in worship that those prayers come to be. So often we beg God, we beg God. God, come, we beg him. But he's given us a way. It's worship. 
It's through worship. So, when it says he is enthroned, I wrote this, to welcome the government of God, the inhabitants of God, for God to move in there as a habitation, not a visit, is built upon the spontaneous praise and worship, the true worship that comes from a deep place of a person's spirit. Now, Revelations 3, verse 7. If you can throw it up, it says, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David. He who opens, Revelations 3, 7. He who opens and no one shuts, and he who shuts and no one opens. He who is the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and nobody opens. Okay, that key for me, people have opinions, is worship. It results in the government. Isaiah 22, 22, and I'm throwing a lot at you, but it'll make sense in a moment. Isaiah 22, 22 says, I take the key of David, it's only two times it's mentioned in scripture, I take the key of David and I lay it upon your shoulder. What does Isaiah 9 say? Isaiah 9 says, For the government of God will be upon the shoulder. So the worship, the key of David, worship, is laid upon the government, is laid upon the shoulder. And the shoulder is, is it in the body of Christ or is the shoulder in the head? Shoulders in the body, right? That was a very simple question that nobody got right. Shoulders in the body, okay? Meaning what? It's people, it's the body of Christ. And the ability to bring the government of God, the key of David, has been laid on the shoulder. It's been laid on here with us. We have the ability to use a key that can open things that nobody, nothing else can open, is worship. Is to close things that nothing else can close, is worship. It's the key of David laid upon the shoulder. And that's where the government of God rests. Are you following with me? Friends, it's powerful stuff. We've been given keys. The Bible says keys of the kingdom. Worship existed before preaching, before church, before anything worship existed. And it's a key in heaven. And what God is restoring on the earth is to worship according to the way David worshipped. To understand. So not all the people have to understand the order of musicians and sila. You know the psalms that says sila, psalm, sila. You know the, there's five different types of sila. I mean, not everybody has to understand all that stuff. I think musicians at some point should give themselves to that study. But, not, but we need to understand is worship in the heart. I hope you're hearing me today. I'm not trying to challenge, I'm trying to encourage. Why? For one purpose. That when we said, I'm just going to go away from my notes here for a moment. I'll just need this. Friends, that when we see people worshipping in the body of Christ, and it offends us, and we're like, what are they doing? They're lying down, they're jumping. It's biblical worship. Just because it makes you uncomfortable doesn't mean it's wrong. Now, if they're doing it in the flesh, it's not worship from the Spirit, if they're doing it for attention. But leave that up to them and the Lord. As a body, there's a way to break out of what is culturally normal, to see the government and rule of God come, to see the key of David released in a place. It is the only strategy, I believe, to see a city come to the Lord. 
I don't believe it's going to happen through street preaching. Well, that helps. I don't believe it's going to happen through prayer. You need to give yourself to intercession. I don't, it's going to come through worship. And every time worship is released onto the earth in that way, there's a prophetic unction that begins to come. Friends, in the Wesley's day, there was eight hymns that they were allowed to sing in the church. Eight. And they were kicked out of the church because they wrote, like, I think it was 8,000 or something hymns. John and Charles Wesley. We stand at a Methodist church. This is part of their inheritance. Because the way worship then was like this. Of my father. And then the church would go, of my father. And you know the whole thing? That's how, that was it. That was the worship leader. Easy job. Easy, right? No, 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 no. And then John and Charles Wesley birthed a revival. They wrote 8,000 hymns and they were kicked out. And that's just hymns. And in the New Testament, there's, there's five really expressions of worship that you see. To sing with your understanding, in 1 Corinthians 14, to sing according to the Spirit, to, to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The spiritual songs there, it's in Colossians 3.16. It's also in Ephesians 5.19. Same verse, same words. To speak to one another, the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The Greek there is pneumaticus ode, pneuma ode, the breath of the Spirit. It's the New Testament form of tehillah. And when you come together, there's a tehillah. There's a, and that can only happen if it's coming from deep inside this person's spirit. Because you have to have a knowledge of God, as Dwayne said, in truth. There's a relationship there. There's a fellowship there. And you worship the Lord from deep inside of your being. Today, while they were singing the known song, I sang like five of my own songs. It comes from deep inside you, and you begin to worship the Lord in a fresh way, in a new way, in a non-rehearsed way. Who knows Matt Redman? Okay. You know what Matt Redman said? He said, a song that is birthed in worship will work for worship. That's when a Tehillah song becomes a known song. That's what we have with Psalms. These were Tehillah songs that became known. True worship. True worship. Dwayne said something very interesting two weeks ago. He said, if true worship exists, so does false worship. As lawyers do that, right? <laughs> and I felt like, you know that movie in the Shrek with the donkey jumping up and down? Pick me, pick me. I was like, I know the answer. I, you know, I was behaved. But he spoke about me, and I get to speak about him. It's my... <laughs> Mark chapter 7, Jesus said, You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me, and you worship me in vain. I'm going to read it to you. Because some of you are thinking, hmm, does it really say that? Yes, sir. Did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? And I'm not saying, yeah, I'm just reading it. You're not, okay? <laughs> <laughs> this is a heavy Sunday. No. It's actually Sunday. That's awesome. Um, well, did Isaiah prophesy of the hypocrites? It is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Mark 7, verse five, uh, 6, 7, uh, and 8. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. In vain they worship. Vain worship exists. Acts 15 says this. I'll show you what vain worship is. Because we all have a desire to see the Lord move in our way only He can, right? Acts 15 says, After this I will return. New Testament. 
I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. Gets cute. Friends, the tabernacle of David has fallen down. That's what's so sad to me. You look around the earth, you see the Hillsongs, Bethels, there are pockets of I hope there are pockets of people on the earth who are doing this well. But look, by and large, most churches, most people, it's fallen down. And so they we come and we'll sing songs. Da, 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 da. We sing the known song. We sing through four or five songs. We know the song. We sing the song. That's what the Bible and the New Testament talks about. Hymns. That just basically means a known song. What about spiritual songs? What about psalms? When was the last time we sang a psalm? And don't just leave it up to the Washela point of my wife. Like put it... It's not up to what they do here. They get one hour a week. They get 30 minutes a week. This is for you and your heart at home. I lived with a worship, two worship leaders before I moved here. <laughs> and yeah, I'm going to get in trouble. There was typical worship leaders, you know. And uh, I just constantly had to rein them down to say, you know, we live on earth. And, um, and they said to me, what is the best thing I can do for my worship? So I said, know the scripture. Know it inside out. One of, the, one of the requirements to worship in the tabernacle of David is that you had to know the, the word of God, word perfect, you had to know it by heart. Because they understood the principle, garbage in, garbage out. So when the Spirit of God came upon them, they would just what would come out as the word of God. So it says, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins. That there in the, Greek, uh, in, the, in the Greek means I will repair its breaches. That's a division. I will, bring, I will remove the things that have divided me from my people. Humanism, intellectualism, the reasoning mind. And I will remove these things in worship. When the tabernacle of David, when the worship in spirit and in truth is restored on the earth, the divisions, the stuff that gets in the way will be removed. And he says, and I will set it up. What's the result? so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. The result, every single time this is restored, is like a revival. Every time you see this happen, people get saved. That's the point of it. Yes, it's for intimacy, but when you bring the two together, the gospel and worship, and people will get saved because of the prophetic ability that is coming out of a church or coming out of a movement or coming out of a person. And so some are required to go and study all the stuff and know all the stuff and teach that and do and that takes time. But for us, we just got to know, God is trying to restore something on the earth according to the place and time on the earth when heaven and earth looked the same. And he wants to bring it back. And it comes through worship. Nothing else comes through worship. And so I encourage you, when we hear and when we're singing, to ask the Lord, Lord, teach, I just don't want to come. Friends, I'm not saying you worship in vain. Please hear my heart. I don't want to just come and sing four songs. They might do that. That doesn't mean you've got to do that. 
I don't want to just come and go through three known songs, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. And I want to sing a few hymns, the songs we know, and go home. And you know, worship, Dwayne, I love it. Worship is just not my thing. Well, that's worship in vain. They honor me with their lips. Lord, I love you. The lips are moving. But God is a God of the heart. It was David. He said, David is a man after my own heart. In other words, his heart looks like my heart. That's what the Lord was saying. How did he get that? Through worship. Through worship. There's so many things I have in my heart that I just want to release. Read you one more scripture. Can I read you one more scripture? Go to Acts 16.20. Actually go to verse 25. Paul and Silas have been whipped. They've been beaten. They've got stripes on their back. You know, I often look. I see it in Acts chapter 8. I see it in Acts chapter 5. I see it in Acts chapter 16. These people were beaten, killed. Acts 13, Paul, I believe, was stoned. I believe he died. It doesn't say that. It says he rose up. Personally, I think he died and came back to life. And every single time this stuff happens to these people, they, it says Paul marched back into the city and preached. Acts chapter 8, they were killed. Parents were taken away from children. It actually says that. And it says there was a persecution, so they're scattered. Meaning what? There's now other kids in our car, so to speak, that are not my own because their parents were killed. It says so they scattered and spread the word of God. Their response to tough stuff is not the day churches of today. We would have political marches and demand our rights. And, and then with the next breath we say, oh, how we long for the power of the early church. Go look how they responded, friends. Take a look. And then you'll see what they saw. It says here, after they'd been beaten, it says, but at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. So they weren't even tehile, tehileing, if that's a word. They weren't even doing the new song thing. They were singing a known song. And the prisoners were listening to them. Because of the worship that went out, all men will come to know the Lord. Right? Acts 15, chapter before. They're singing. They're worshipping. And it says, think of this prophetically in the spirit. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. We're we'll talking about the power of worship. There was a physical reaction. There was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison, when I read that this morning, I just got excited. Some people are as, as if they're in prison in their heart. What's going to break that thing? Worship. The oil of joy for those who are depressed, Isaiah 61. The prison, the foundations, the very foundations of the thing that holds you, the very foundations, the very structure will be broken in worship. And immediately all the doors were opened, the key that opens a door that no one can shut and that shuts a door that nobody can open. I mean, it's all in the Bible. The doors were opened and everyone's chains, everyone's chains were loosed. Bondages broken, chains loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep, it's like a person getting saved, those that are blinded, suddenly wake up to the Lord. Because someone sang a song from the Spirit. 
That's the power of worship. And I think that's enough. I'm asking you to begin to ask the Lord, Lord, show me again. Show me again. Don't put it on them. Imagine being them right now, sitting in the audience going, I don't know what he's talking about. I've got a lot of stuff. I'm not trying to put pressure here. But if we're going to see God move, and we're going to see the habitation of God, the rule, the reign, the government, people get saved. There's a sound that can begin to come from the church. And that's a prophetic ability to sing the very Tehillah of the Lord. <laughs>